El Fanboy, episode 14. Mario Francisco Robles, El Fanboy here with you, and this is the 14th edition of the El Fanboy podcast. Uh, sorry to make you guys wait this week, but I trust me, I had my reasons. This is version 2.0 of this episode. Had I stuck to the schedule on Tuesday, it would have been very different, and it would have taken us into some territory that... I'm just kind of glad I uh, ultimately decided to avoid. So right now for this, right now, like just first of all, the first thing I want to get into is I have to say that I'm super happy to hear about the uh, about the early response to Wonder Woman. Uh, the movie sounds like it's going to be really special, and I hope that ends up being the case. As I've always said, when it comes to my skepticism towards the DCEU, it's always been one of those areas where I would actually love to be proven wrong. So in the case of Wonder Woman, you know, look, I had my reservations, you know, and, and, and they were based on very real reasons as far as I'm concerned. But if it turns out great, no one will be happier than I am. Uh, something I've read that gives me lots of hope is that Gal Gadot plays her like a true, genuine hero. You know, no cynicism, no angst, just someone who knows right from wrong and can't sit idly by and allow bad people to do bad things. Uh, the DCEU needs a true blue hero like that, and if that ends up being Wonder Woman, then she couldn't have arrived at a better time. The last thing this franchise needed was another conflicted hero. So I'm here crossing my fingers that that bit of the early response holds true. Uh, I'm also very curious to see how this early buzz affects the box office. You know, last week, Deadline released its projections for the movie, and uh, they were kind of low. I mean, we're talking a $65 million opening weekend for the first ever Wonder Woman movie. And the first DC movie to open south of $100 million bucks since Green Lantern did that in 2011. And not just under $100 million. If, if it were to actually stick to that $65 million projection from Deadline, that would be way under it. You know, those projections had me worried, and, you know... I always thought that Wonder Woman would be more in the like 80 or 90 million dollar range. So, you know, with this new positive buzz that the movie's got, that's, you know, I've decided I'm going to keep my projection in that area. Uh, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll go a little, I'll go a little bit higher. I'm going to go ahead and say that Wonder Woman opens up to a 95 million dollar weekend, which would be quite respectable. Um, you know, at this point, it's up to the marketing to make the great final pitch and for the critical love to keep pouring in. Um, but while we're on the subject of critical response and, and the way these DC movies have fared in the past, you know, I want to give you a little food for thought. Um, if the movie is great, right, and it still somehow manages to underperform at the box office... And what we have here is the first real casualty of the Zack Snyder era of the DC Extended Universe. Because, you know, the first wave of movies made a considerable amount of money. 
Not a ton of profit for the studio, but that's more Warner Brothers' problem because of the amount of time and money that they put into these things. But they made a bunch of money. And they did so based on the public's goodwill towards these beloved characters and the DC property itself, which so many people have grown up with, you know? And if Wonder Woman stumbles out of the gate, it'll be because Zack Snyder tripped her. It'll be because he oversaw an initial slate of DC movies that were so divisive, so frustrating, and so lacking in the classic elements that made these characters resonate with us to begin with, that now people are kind of skeptical about checking out Wonder Woman. So that's the bottom line there. Mark my words. If Wonder Woman's great, and it doesn't end up living up to its box office potential, it won't be because of Gal Gadot. It won't be because of sexism against female heroes. It won't be because of Patty Jenkins. It'll be because those first three DC movies in this new series, you know, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad, have turned people off and, and, and soured them on the brand. So, you know, this, this whole thing will be fascinating to follow in the weeks to come. Um, but okay, so now let's talk a little bit about the story that I broke earlier this week since it's in the same arena. It's in the whole DC thing. You know, it's a story that's crept across every inch of the internet at this point, which is pretty cool. Um, the Justice League reshoots. Look, uh, I made my position on this clear in the piece itself. I don't see this as bad news. I don't see this as good news. I just see this as news. Because it sounds like the studio is really doing everything it can to make sure Justice League is an epic win for everyone involved. And who can't be excited about that, you know? So it all comes down to questions like, number one, how will the changes be incorporated? Number two, who wrote the new material? Three, who's directing the new material? I ask that because, you know, I'm reminded of what happened last year with Rogue One, where, you know, Disney slash Lucasfilm actually brought in a different director for the overhaul of that movie. So, you know, I'm curious about those three things. And I'm curious since, you know, as I mentioned in the piece, you know, are they going to go and try to work on this movie from the inside out and kind of like tear it back open? and try to incorporate these changes in a very organic way and, and like that changes the overall flow of the movie? Or are they just kind of kind of be like adding on a whole bunch of extra scenes and forced jokes and things that don't really line up with what was originally there, which is kind of what we got with Suicide Squad. So, you know, it's all about that sort of stuff. Um, but anyway, so now that we've had a couple days, and now that we have the benefit of time with these last few days revealing that, you know, Wonder Woman might be fantastic, maybe one of the reasons for the reshoots is to incorporate more of what's making people so excited about Wonder Woman. You know what I mean? Like, the folks at Warner Brothers who've been getting slammed by critics for their DC movies for years now are likely taking very detailed notes as they read what critics are saying and seeing the elements that are connecting with people and saying, okay, we need to give Justice League more of that and this and that. And, you know, if that's the case, bring it on, you know? And also, um, I feel like I should apologize. Uh, I must have written something unclearly in the original story, and I own that. Because people took my sources quote, the thing about uh, remaking the movie twice, very literally. And they seem to think that I was saying that they've shot the movie twice. And that's not what I meant. 
I didn't mean it that literally. Uh, and that's not what my source was referring to. You know, we were talking about was, and the point I was trying to make was that Justice League has been getting retooled from the start. You know, it entered production 18 days after Batman v Superman came out and was ravaged by critics, you know, um, and they've been adjusting Justice League on the fly ever since. Like, if you think about it, before Batman v Superman came out, before they knew how people would reject it, uh, there was plan A for Justice League. You know, the movie was going to be a certain way. Let's call that uh, Justice League A, okay? Justice League A. Then the studio realized it had a mess of a movie on its hands, you know, in terms of Batman v Superman. But production for Justice League A was looming. So they started doing minor tweaks to the script in the weeks leading up to principal photography. And so by the time it started filming, it had become uh, Justice League A1, let's say. Then, as filming wore on, Justice League A1 was testing poorly internally. For whatever reason, they weren't really happy that the minor tweaks weren't doing it for them. And now they're about to turn Justice League A1 into Justice League B. You know, they're about to spend several weeks trying to transform it into Justice League B. They've had a whole bunch of months now, you know, the, the, the principal photography wrapped back in October. They've had a lot of time to look at what was already done and where James Wan is taking Aquaman, where uh, the final cut of Wonder Woman took Wonder Woman and how people are responding to Wonder Woman. And now they're going to try to, I guess, incorporate what they see working and what Jeff Johns, where he wants to take the DCEU. And they're going to put, you know, they're going to spend several weeks trying to turn Justice League A1 into Justice League B. So in that way, you know, there have essentially been like three versions of Justice League. You know, the original plan, A, the slightly retooled version, A1, and now they're going for the very retooled version, B. And, uh, you know, so that's what we meant by remade twice. And I'm totally sorry about writing that in a way that uh, wasn't clear. And again, none of this is negative. None of this is negative or DC bashing. This is just news for people who like to know how the donuts are made. You know, if you're a fan of film and are fascinated by the process of filmmaking, then this story was for you. If you're someone who only cares about the final product and you're only interested in how the movie moves you once you're sitting in, in, in a theater watching it, which, it, let's be honest, that's most of the base most of an audience for a movie doesn't give a shit about how the movie was made. They just wanted a good movie. Then, you know, if that's what you're like, then this story that we broke wasn't for you. It doesn't matter to you. You can just ignore it. It's not interesting. There's nothing about it. You know, that's a very important distinction. We were just trying to convey the Herculean effort that Warner Brothers is putting into Justice League and offering you insight into why it's so important to them to get this thing right. And uh, God bless them for that. But all right, moving on. Um, yeah, I'm going to save your L fanboy questions for the end of the show because I'm tired of hearing my own voice. So I want to get to the news and I want to bring on a very special friend.
for this week's news segment, I'm joined by none other than my good friend. He's the editor-in-chief of the Splash Report, the founder of Latino Review, and one guapo motherfucker, Mr. Kelvin Chavez. What's cracking, boy? How you doing, boy? I'm doing good. I'm taking a little rest. Instead of working out, I'm here with you. Yeah, see, I mean, I, I listen, I, I appreciate you taking the time to not be at the gym, you know, pumping iron and getting all, you know, super sexy. And I'm missing instead, chicks right now. I'm missing all the chicks right now. missing out on all the ladies and flexing. The lady. Hey, you know where the weight room is? You, you know? need a spot lady? <laughs> <laughs> and instead, you're here to talk to me on this glorious Fanboy Friday edition of the podcast. So uh, you had a big week over there at Splash, huh? didn't you? Uh, traffic spiked so well that the site crashed, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it crashed for a half hour or something like that. So we fixed it. <laughs> We had to take out some plugins and shit that, but everything was good. Yeah, man. People people love them some Justice League news, don't they? Oh, definitely, man. I wonder if you got any shit for it, you know? No. Nah. Because I mean, I'm the one that told you the whole story. Yeah, yeah. It's your baby. I'm just, I'm just the, I'm just the messenger, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, I didn't get too much shit. I mean, I started some shit because you know I got a big mouth, and but that's just me. But <laughs> no, it was, it was fun. It was fun. In fact, you know what? Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Hang on. Ah, hang on. Sorry, I just had to spray out a cockroach over there. Okay, sorry. There you go. So, um, <laughs> all right. So let's get to Inside the big show. stories going around. At the moment. All right, I'm going to bounce some news stories off you, kind of like we used to do on the old show. I want to get your two cents. And uh, then I also want to hear a little later on about what you've been hearing about Wonder Woman. Because there is all this positive buzz. But, you know, you are closer to the source at the heart of all these matters than most common people are. So at the end of this, I'm going to ask you what you've been hearing and all that sort of stuff. But okay, let's get to some stories. Uh, On Wednesday... We all got word that three huge names were circling The Flash's director's chair. Just a quick historical reminder to people who are listening. The Flash has lost not one but two directors over the course of its production. Uh, it was supposed to be filming like three months ago, by the way, and to be, to be released in early 2018. And instead, they lost Seth Graham Smith. They lost Rick Famuyiwa. And the whole thing seems to be in like a holding pattern. But the most exciting thing to come out of this holding pattern were the names. Um, And we also heard that one of its stars might have departed as well. So it was kind of an up and down news day for for the DC flick about the speedster. And now there are updates too. So, okay, so let's start with the directors, uh, Kelvin. Um, We heard three names. We heard Sam Raimi, we heard Matthew Vaughn, and we heard Robert Zemeckis. And it has since been revealed that Sam Raimi has passed on the project. And actually, did you hear this? So did his Spider-Man successor. Apparently, Mark Webb was also offered the movie, and he also passed. So that's very interesting to me, just almost like as a, as a piece of trivia, that Warner Brothers went after both Spider-Man directors for The Flash. But yes, so so Raimi is out of contention already, so that didn't last that long, and that leaves us with Zemeckis and Vaughn. So, Kel, what do you think about those two directors? Uh, actually, I like both of them, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. Matthew Vaughn, because, you know, he did X-Men First Class, and he did uh, Kingsman, of course, Kick-Ass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he has that comic book feel, right? I mean, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I get that, but Robert Zemeckis... That's an interesting choice. I mean, right? Like, that to me, that's so left field. 
Yeah, it's really left field. I mean, like, what, because he did Back to the Future? Come on, really? Uh, I know, like 30 years ago? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he's an interesting choice, too. I mean, I, that came out of, like you said, out of left field. Yeah. So I like, I do like both of them, especially Robert Zemeckis, who's, you know, he is, you know, a big director. Yeah, that would like. be some prestigious shit. Like, all of a sudden, The Flash would be a very serious movie. Like, well, it was originally going to be, like, you know, a B-DC movie. You know, like, you know, the, the A-listers are the trinity, right? Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Flash was going to be, like, a notch down. But if they get Zemeckis on there, that it's instantly a much higher profile movie. Yeah, and, and, and even with Matthew, it will be the same way, you know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. He, does, he does have, you know, uh, experience in doing these... Uh, you know, he's, and film. he's a successful filmmaker in his own right at this point. You know, he I don't think he has like a real dud on his resume, especially oh, yeah. not I mean, in the last And few dude, years. I love I love X-Men First Class. I thought he did an amazing yeah. job on it. Yeah. So that's why I'm good with either one. Well, 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 well see, but now I got to, you know, none of this hedging your bets thing. I want to put you on the stand on the spot. If you had to pick between either of them, who would you choose for The Flash? Matthew Vaughn. That's just you me. You go with Vaughn, yeah. Yeah. That's and, that's it. It. and here's where I'm torn, because, like, I totally think Vaughn could do it, especially if he channels some of that, like, Guy Ritchie, old school, like, like uh, sort of comedy action, rough around the edges, edgy sort of stuff that he used to do. Because, you know, he came up doing, like, Layer Cake. We, you know, there was, yeah. like, you know, the wisecracks, and there was violence, and there was likable characters, and they, you know, he kind of came from that Guy Ritchie mold, Matthew Vaughn, then he went in his own direction. Like, I could see a Flash movie with Ezra Miller, who is very good at being snarky and a wise-ass. Uh, I could totally see there being a good Flash movie done with that sort of style. But then again, I think about Zemeckis, and, like, if he were able to, to summon his back-to-the-future powers... And make the Flash using those sensibilities. I think the Flash could suddenly become a fucking classic. Because when we when you think about like the original Back to the Future and Back to the Future Two, especially, like those movies had such a blend of everything. You know, you had science fiction, you had great sense of humor, you had a shit ton of heart, right, Kelvin? Oh, a lot definitely. of heart. So much heart. <laughs> uh, you had very likable characters. You had a lead in in uh, Michael J. Fox slash Marty McFly who was going through some very interesting shit and coming of age in the process. Like I could totally see if he were to able if he were able to make Back to the Future or the Flash with his Back to the Future sort of hat on. Like Flash could be fucking amazing. So that's why my vote goes towards Zemeckis. And also, selfishly, I want to save Vaughn for potentially doing Man of Steel, too. Because remember, there, were those, there was rumors a while back that he was in the running for that. And I would actually much rather see him do that. I know initially, for those of you who've been listening for a while, I was a little bit down on that idea. But I've kind of come around to it. I think Vaughn can make a really good, balanced Superman movie. He seems to understand the character. He's released quotes in the past about you know how superman would need to differ from like batman and all the other complex stuff and i realized he could make a really good one so for me like selfishly i want a zemeckis back to the future style flash movie and i want a matthew vaughn superman movie where he channels some of what he put into first class all that heart all of that uh you know there was a lot of emotion in that movie and a lot of really yes, great yes. character building you know and and meanwhile like the badass stuff was still badass but the you know the the softer elements were still nice and soft and and all that so i just i that's what i want um mm -hmm. 
But I don't want to beat that that horse uh, too much. The other Flash story that came up, I just find very interesting. It's weird to me. Uh, it involves Billy Crudup. Um, reliable outlets reported on Wednesday that he was dropping out of the Flash. You know, he was set to play Henry Allen, Barry's father, Ezra Miller's father. Then yesterday, that got contradicted. They're saying that, no, he is very much still on board. So, like, what do you make of that? That like all I mean, of a sudden, I mean, like what? What? Why? 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 Why would these stories be coming out all of a sudden? I, to be honest, with you, I I have no clue. That would to me when I first read it on I think uh, Entertainment Weekly that mm-hmm. he was out. Uh, I found it shocking. I was like, "Fuck, man!" It's like the flash is just going down and down and down. It looks like they're not. It looks like they're not even making the film. Yeah, like but, I, uh, you know, and, and, and even even if he was out, I was like, "Fuck!" They're gonna have to get another actor to replace him, knowing that he was already in Justice League. Yeah, you see, and for me, that's the weird part, because like at first, I was like, oh, that sucks, but it's okay, because it's not like that, you know, not like The Flash is anywhere near filming yet, so it's a good thing he left when he did, but then I read that he actually did shoot a little bit for Justice League, like you just said, so I'm like, see, that, for me, was a sticking point, because that, you know, that would make his departure kind of suck, but then again, you know, uh, we've had like 17 Howard Starks in the MCU, so I'm pretty sure... That yeah, they'd make yeah. do with two Henry Allens if it comes to that. But, you know, here's hoping he does indeed stick around. Um, and, uh, okay, and just since I just mentioned the MCU, have you had a chance to read the uh, the three new synopses that have been revealed for, like, a Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, and Aveng- Avengers Infinity War? No, no, I haven't. Okay, good. So I will read them to you. And we will respond to them in real time. So be ready to have amazing, thought-provoking responses for all of them, okay? I expect nothing short of genius from you when I'm done reading these. (laughs) All right. So uh, uh, we'll start with Thor Ragnarok, since we're going to go chronological here. That comes out later this year. The new updated synopsis reads... Thor's world is about to explode in Marvel's Thor Ragnarok. His devious brother, Loki, has taken over Asgard. The powerful Hela has emerged to steal the throne for herself, and Thor is imprisoned on the other side of the universe. To escape captivity and save his home from imminent destruction, Thor must first win a deadly alien contest by defeating his former ally and fellow Avenger, the Incredible Hulk. What do you think? Kaka. Nah, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's basically what you saw in the trailer. Yeah, yeah, except, for sure. Ex- except that, um, I don't know if they really put in that Loki took over Asgard. Yeah, for me, like, you know? the emphasis on Loki all of a sudden is kind of, like, interesting. Like, I, I, yeah. I haven't seen too much of him in the trailer. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, basically, pretty much that's what you saw in the trailer. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, it's fine with me. I'm cool with that. Yeah, to me, it almost reads like something you read on the back of a VHS. <laughs> yeah. of like, uh, like an when you're gonna rent something out. Yeah, of like an '80s movie. Like, yeah, like to me, it sounds a little bit like it's a little campy, like a little over the top. Like some of the words are so like, you know, it's like comic booky, like uh, like kind of pulpy. So I yeah. kind of like that. It's just we know that. Uh, Taika Waititi. I, 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 by the way, I should get a dollar every time I say his name. I say his <laughs> name on the show so often. Um, but yeah, I think Waititi is trying to like channel some of that, you know, some like '80s sort of stuff, you know, like with the logo, with the logo for the movie, and some of the campier sort of pulpy elements he's trying to put in there. So when I read this, I'm like, I could see this on the back of like a VHS 
of like an action adventure movie from the eighties. So that's how it read to me, and that's how it feels to me. The only thing I will say is like I feel like they're, I feel like they're sort of like, um, which is good. I feel like they're 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 keeping a lot of surprises because this for me this all just sounds like the setup that we find out about in the first ten minutes of the movie. But like you know, we everything after this synopsis is still to come. You know, like yeah. they kind of make it seem like you know, like the the thing against the Incredible Hulk is going to be the big climax of the movie. Meanwhile, I'm pretty sure that's going to happen within the first half hour, and then we're going to get on that whole intergalactic, you know, uh, buddy road trip movie they keep talking about. So I just think, yeah, I think they're wisely keeping the bulk of the story under wraps, and this synopsis is really just the setup for the movie. But, yeah, exactly. Um, that's what I think too. You yeah. Know? Um, which thank God for that. You know, don't reveal too much. I'm I'm way too hyped about this movie. Uh, then there's Black Panther, which comes out in February of next year. Um, it says, <clears throat> after the events of Captain America: Civil War, King T'Challa returns home to the reclusive, technologically advanced African nation of Wakanda to serve as his country's new leader. However. T'Challa soon finds that he is challenged for the throne from factions within his own country. When two foes conspire to destroy Wakanda, the hero known as Black Panther must team up with CIA agent Everett K. Ross and members of the Dora Milaje Wakandan Special Forces to prevent Wakanda from being dragged into a world war. They should hire you for fucking voice. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing everything. Is it T'Challa or Chala? And is it Dora Milaje? I have no fucking clue. But. Yeah. So what do you think of that synopsis, Kelvino? It sounds interesting. It looks like a, a, a lot of fighting is going to be happening, a lot of backstabbing. Yeah, know? it sounds almost like they're kind of like trying to bring some of that Game of Thrones element, like yeah. the power play, yeah. you know, who's going to really lead, who's the rightful heir to the who's throne. Rightful heir to the throne, exactly. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. It sounds intriguing. Although I I did have a little red flag, though, and I actually thought about listener Tavo Borrego, about in terms of like the, 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 the size of the story might be a little too big. When I read about Wakanda being dragged into a world war, I'm just hoping that this thing doesn't get too big and overblown. I want this to be a story where we get to know and love and understand Chala more and not about like world war and, you know, ending the, the planet type shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I definitely, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I hope that the threat is more intimate. It's him about and it's him against his direct adversary for leadership of Wakanda and that sort of thing. I don't. I hope this doesn't actually become some sort of thing where now, you know, the whole world might be entered into a war because of what's happening in Black Panther's story. You know, I just hope that they keep it intimate, keep it smaller, keep it scaled up to a more personal level. You know, um, and and I think that's gonna be a hell of a fucking movie, though. You know, like yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you got a serious filmmaker. You got some serious actors. That cast is yeah, sick. That's, that's a sick cast. And what I like about it too is that, like, you know, Chala is sort of an unknown character still to mainstream audiences. So uh, for a lot of us, we're gonna get in. We're, we're gonna get to experience a whole new mythology. He's gonna be very surprised. He was one of the more like unpredictable and surprising elements of Civil War. So I kind of hope that this really kind of like builds on his little. You know, on the on on the mystery surrounding him, and gives us some of that mythos, so we can really sort of sink our teeth into this very new and very different kind of character. You know, 
So yeah. I'm very excited about that. This could be really, really good. Um, now, so I spoke about, you know, having to keep the scale, you know, under control for Black Panther. But one movie that pretty much requires a gigantic scale is Avengers Infinity War, which also got a new updated synopsis, which reads... <clears throat> As the Avengers and their allies have continued to protect the world from threats too large for any one hero to handle, a new danger has emerged from the cosmic shadows. Thanos, a despot <laughs> of intergalactic infamy, his goal is to collect all six Infinity Stones, artifacts of unimaginable power, and use them to inflict his twisted will on all of reality. Everything the Avengers have fought for has led up to this moment. The fate of Earth and existence itself has never been more uncertain. What do you think about Avengers Infinity War? Well, I like the fact that they focus on Thanos, you know? Yeah, yeah, and for uh, sure. And pretty much, isn't that what we said when we were on the other place? Yeah, well, yeah. So, you know, they just twisted it a little bit. They don't mention the girl part and they don't mention that Thanos is going after the infinity stones to, you know, I guess to, um, for her to love him or something like that. Remember that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the, yes. That whole bit that he, 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 you know, he wants to impress Hela. Yeah. yeah. Um, but either way, I, I feel like what's interesting to me is this kind of really puts into context what the first two Avengers movies were about. That, like, yes, you know, while the first Avengers was the culmination of Phase 1 and the second Avengers was the culmination of Phase 2, this one is really the culmination of everything. It suddenly makes this movie seem much more huge because if you think about it, we've been on this Thanos kick, we've been on this Infinity Stone kick since, you know, well, how many years now? It's been like nine years that they've begun this story in some way, shape, or form. And it makes you realize that, you know, the first Avengers was about getting, you know, introducing the team to one another. The second Avengers was about the team being put in, you know, being put at odds against one another and trying to figure out a way to become a better, closer team. And this one is about, you know, now in theory, they are ready to face their biggest threat ever. But then again, there's also the whole intrigue of the fact that the team has been split up after yeah. Civil War. So yeah, I, I just, for me, it's interesting to think that like, this really is the biggest one. This is going to be the one that everything has led to. And yep. the synopsis really kind of hits that point home. I never really, I guess, I guess it's obvious, but to me, I never really thought of it that way, that every single thing that they've been building towards it's it's going to come to a head in uh, Infinity War. So that's going to be fucking nuts, man. Yeah, that's going to be fucking... That, that movie is going to make cartel dollars at the right? <laughs> it's, it's I, I, mean, I Pablo Escobar money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you are probably very, very right. Um, and now in terms of like... Car oh, actually, wait, before I move on, there is something that like when I was going through these and looking at like the chronological order and realizing how yeah. close things are arriving, you know, if you think about like next year, there's going to be Black Panther in February. And then just three months later, there's another Marvel movie, which is Avengers. Then there's going to be another one later that you know, like Marvel is officially moving into that phase of things where there are three movies per year. You know, they're doing it this year, too, if you think about it. Even though Spider-Man Homecoming is like a, a co-production with Sony, you know, yeah. we had Guardians in May. We're going to have Spider-Man in July. We're going to have Thor in November. 
Um, so like we we are officially in that phase where Marvel is like upping their upping their thing. And what's impressive to me about that is like they've just been like quietly chugging along, like adding more and more to their universe, while all the other superhero things around them have sort of been going like up and down and trying to figure out what their future is. You know, like if you remember like a couple of years ago, I want to say like end of 2013, middle of 2014, everyone was worried about like the oversaturation of comic book movies. Oh, right? yeah, like, yeah. You know, like, like, and at the time, we all thought that every year we would be getting two or three Marvel movies, two or three DC movies, two X-Men movies. Because uh, that, that's back when like X-Men and Fantastic Four were going to be coexisting in their own little universe. Then there was also going to be the Spider-Man universe from Sony where they were going to have the Sinister Six and Amazing Spider-Man 3 and 4 and, you know, yeah. Aunt May as a Spider-Girl. Like, like all this weird <laughs> shit. They had all this shit coming yeah. out. Like. So like, w- like there was this point three years ago where it looked like, oh my God, how the hell are we going to handle having all of these movies? You know, and then look what's happened since then. You know, DC's slate has gotten delayed and totally reworked. It looks completely different than it originally did. And who knows if they'll even release more than one movie in 2018. Because right now for 2018, all we got is Aquaman at this point. And the clock is ticking. If they don't get into production soon, they're going to have one movie in all of 2018. Then, you know, the Spider-Man universe got scrapped, as we know. You know, he got folded into the MCU. And I know that the Venom thing's supposed to happen. But their crazy Spider-Man universe plans are done, for all intents and purposes. And then Fox over there has taken its sweet-ass time expanding the XCU. I guess, you know, they, they, they learned from their mistakes with X-Men Apocalypse. And they want to make these more character-driven, smaller movies like Logan and, and Deadpool. So, you know, there's... The, everything has been scaled down or scrapped and altered, but then there's Marvel holding steady all along with their little game plan, sticking to it and doing their whole like slow and steady wins the race thing. You know, they haven't changed at all. What they said they were going to do a bunch of years ago, they are right on schedule with that. And that's fucking, you know, that, 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 that deserves, that, that deserves some praise. I, I've been pretty hard on them the last few months because some of their shit is kind of cookie cutter and kind of predictable. <laughs> but you know what? You got to hand it to them. They have a game plan. They're sticking to it and it's working for them. Everyone else is scrambling, trying to remake themselves. Everyone is trying to reboot or change and directors are dropping out and they, they're trying to figure out how to proceed. And meanwhile, Marvel's like, all right, well, whatever. You guys do you. We know what we're doing. So we're not going to worry about you. you exactly. Know? That's exactly. pretty it- damn good. They're doing shit correct. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And speaking of, like, doing shit correct and, like, how they're slow and steadily winning the race, have you heard the early, early projections for their next movie, for Spider-Man Homecoming, which, by the way, doesn't open until July, so this is all very early, and who knows if it actually pans out, but the early word is that Spider-Man Homecoming is going to open to around 135 million bucks, which... It's pretty fucking huge. I mean, I don't know. Do you think it's going to pull that off? Because actually, before you answer, I want to just put that number Uh into perspective for you. Because that would make it the second biggest Spidey opening ever after Spider-Man 3, which made $151 million uh, whenever that was in 2011 or 2010. Wasn't it actually even longer ago than that? Either way. So Spider-Man 3 made $151 million. And that would also mean that Spider-Man Homecoming is going to open $40 million more 
than the last Spider-Man movie, which was The Amazing Spider-Man 2 in 2014. So do you think that's a realistic projection, 135 mil for Homecoming? I don't see why not, dude. I mean, because I guess because of the Civil War, a lot of people, you know, like Spider-Man when he was, you know, yeah. involved in the whole fighting and everyone spoke about that specific scene of him. Yeah. The whole thing. And then, of course, the end credit where he has yeah, a gadget. Teaser. from Yeah, the little teaser. And then all these, you know, commercials that are coming out and all these footages that are coming, you know, they're marketing it correctly to everybody. So, yeah, I, I don't. I don't see – I'd probably say it'll probably make 140, 145. I wouldn't, you know. Jeez. 135. What's the highest opening? What's Spider-Man 3 with 151? 151. I don't think it'll go with 151, but I, I give it like 140, you yeah. know. Yeah. Just, the, uh, also, you have to also take in account is how much – how can I say this? How much of a – will people go back to see it again? Yeah, 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 the rewatchability. The rewatchability, you know. Yeah. You have to take that into account as well. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, for me, I find that a little bit surprising. I don't, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm not saying it's not going to make that. But to me, it's just like, that's pretty damn impressive when you consider the fact that this is the already the second reboot and everything has been so on top of each other. You know, within the last 10 years, we've had three different Peter Parkers now. You know, and no, the yeah, fact yeah. that audiences don't seem to be showing much fatigue for Spider-Man is is a pretty big deal. You know, and, and the idea that Homecoming, which is yet another reboot, right, is going to open over 40 million bucks than the last Spider-Man movie. Like, you know what? You know, a lot. But you know what helps, too? That, you know, Tony Stark's is in it. Yeah. yeah. And that w- that's the what helps. So that's an old dip. thing. Yeah, exactly. And All that where, stuff. Go ahead. That's what, you know, no, that's what uh, helps. When audiences see that, they know that it's part of that Marvel yeah. MCU stuff. And this is where that gamble seems to be paying off. You, know, you me, and Dave spoke uh, like a month yeah. or two ago about how like they, there's so much Marvel stuff in these in these in the Spider-Man footage so far that it's all about like you know he, look how connected to Iron Man this is, look how connected to the Avengers this is. You know, they've been heavily heavily playing the MCU card in the Spider-Man Homecoming trailers, and I guess it's paid off. You know what I mean, I guess yeah, if it if it if it really is going to pull in one thirty five, and way surpass what Spider Man uh, Amazing Spider Man two did only three years ago, that means that people are definitely there. They they've bought into this new direction, and they like that he's in the MCU. And I guess you can't really fault them for putting all of that Marvel Studio stuff in the uh, in the Spidey trailers so far. So. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know, I wish them, I wish them well. Let's see how those projections go up or down in the coming months. And now, yeah, you have to take into account that there's not even a review for it. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. that'll be interesting to see when that comes. Out. I mean, Marvel's usually pretty good about letting those come out right away because they're usually pretty confident about their movies. You know, you know how it is when when the studio, the closer to to a release date that that embargo lifts, the more skeptical a studio is. Yeah, because they, they yeah. don't want the bad word to to get out. But Marvel usually like, yeah, whatever, post it whatever you feel like. You know, a lot of times it tends to be like a week or two before the movie comes out. So I hopefully we 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 start getting the the early buzz on on Homecoming soon. But to me, it looks good, so I won't be surprised if it if it turns out pretty good. 
Um, but while we're talking about like projections and movies that are coming up that may per, you know perform well or underperform, there's one that I've been keeping a very close eye on because it's supposed to start a whole new cinematic universe. Uh, you know, this week we got the final Mummy trailer. Uh, did you get a chance to see it? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I saw it. All right, so let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, I'm going to give you the floor first. Like, what was your initial sort of takeaway on the the final Mummy trailer? Uh, hmm. I liked it a lot, actually, to be honest with you. Not okay. a lot, but I liked it. I, I said to myself, I, I want to see that now because it's way better than those Brandon Fraser <laughs> yeah. Mummy movies. I, at least that's what it looks like. But there are certain things... Like when that whole uh, the sand of her, and her face comes out, that pretty much is like the Brandon Fraser movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, I would like to know the connection that Tom Cruise has with, I guess, the mummy or what does she do to him? Because there's a scene where Tom Cruise was like he has strength and he chokes her and puts her against the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So and then he has to just, become a monster. They keep playing yeah, up monster. that angle where he has so to they, become I, a monster. He has to become a monster. So it, from the rumors that are going around is that... Cruz is like the Wolfman, you know. Oh, that's that's the rumor. I'm not saying that it's true. Or that's just Wait, the rumor. Is that a leg- I I haven't heard that. Is that the rumor? That's the rumor that I heard. Yeah, it's all. I saw it on the. I think I saw it on somebody's website. Get the uh, fuck out that, of here. That that was a rumor that he's he's a were he's a Wolfman. Yeah. Huh? Well, you know, because so. I I have my own little theory, but it's not that. But it is. I have a theory. That he might end up being like the proper mummy in this franchise, that like she's like the setup because because you know what it is in the trailer they say something about how she wants to she's chosen you to be the vessel for the ultimate evil, so I wonder if if, if there's something where like she's gonna transfer her consciousness into his body or whatever and he's gonna become like the real mummy. Yeah, yeah, that that too, that that can happen too, you know. Yeah, that would be I, I got that I got that deal. feeling I got that feeling as well too, you know. Yeah. What I mean? But then when I was watching the trailer and that rumor about him being the wolf, the yeah. wolf man, there was there's that scene where he's fighting her in the woods. Yeah. And it's yeah, sort yeah. of dark. Right. It's sort of dark. Yeah. So then he has all of a sudden in the same scene, he has this strength where he grabs her and puts her against the wall. Yeah. So who knows. Is he turning into a wolf when the moon comes out in the woods? Who knows? Huh. I don't I don't know. I'm just, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Chando, throwing shit out there. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. You know, that's I mean, see, now I'm suddenly much more interested. <laughs> um, shit. That is a, OK. And that's just like fan theorizing. I thought you were talking about the trailer. Yeah. But um, yeah, so in terms of the trailer, uh, my response was like, you know, it's really pushing the like, this is the start of something angle. You know what I mean? There's a lot of that, like the beginning of a dark universe. They really like they want yeah, the yeah. movie to feel big and expansive, like some sort of launch pad for exciting things to come. And like I get it. You know, th- this looks like an expensive movie and Universal doesn't want to gamble anymore. You know, like they, they don't want another Dracula Untold or another Van Helsing. You know, they want a guaranteed hit. So for me, the trailer looked like it was trying too hard a little bit. You know, it was it was trying to be a little too much of everything. It started off like a horror movie, which I liked a lot, by the way. Then it yeah. became a, like a Mission Impossible movie in the middle there a little bit. Then it had some of that like Marvel 
wedged in humor that kind of sucks the epicness out of what's happening. Um, which, you know, it, 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 it basically looks like it's borrowing for me from like the Marvel playbook a little too much and making this look like a big, wide, mass market movie instead of like a classic horror film, which is what I was hoping for. Um, you know, and there was also that like featurette they released, which totally spoiled like the Jekyll Hyde element of the oh, movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they're just kind of like throwing everything they can out there to make sure this thing opens big. And I get it. You know, I, I guess my hope remains that they're using the mummy as like a gateway drug to get to the harder stuff. You know, and I hope that means that future installments of this universal monster franchise are a little darker and edgier and, and scarier thrill rides and not just like generic thrill rides. Cause I guess, th- I guess that's my issue here. The mummy definitely looks like a fun ride after this trailer, but a kind of generic one, because you know, like for me, when you try to be a little too much of everything, sometimes you end up being nothing. <laughs> So that that was my thing. To me, it just like it, it it was fun. It was good. I'm gonna see it. I'm excited. But for me, it was a little generic. Um, no, yeah. I mean, I mean there's still the the interesting parts. Also, was those little Easter eggs that they throw. I mean, the whole thing that you said right now about them spoiling uh, the feature red. Yeah. I mean, they don't really. They only show you like a real small. Yeah, I know. His I know. eyes. I mean, you don't see him. No, but for Completely me, like... Completely as Mr. Hyde, you know what I mean? Like, no, but, like, for me, like, they're totally giving away... It looks like that's supposed to be, like, a twist. You know what I mean? It looks oh, like... I mean, everybody knew that. That's why he was playing, you know? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in terms of his, his relationship to Cruz, Cruz's oh, character, okay. you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that was supposed to be a surprise. He looks through a lot of it like he's, like, a like an ally or a friend or someone who's trying to get him into this whole new yeah, yeah. world that he's in now. Uh, you know, they basically spoiled that he's going to end up being a villain in the movie. You see him throwing the bed aside. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like, you know, they're going to be throwing down too. So, like, they kind of gave away what was is probably going to be like a third act twist already. Yeah. You know, so they're really I mean, trying and, hard to make this thing make sense. And then fun. I want to I know about the whole Dracula thing because all you see is his skull with the fangs on, you know. And the, yeah, and this. yeah. And um, then uh, I would like to know whether or not they'll have. Uh, one of those end credits, you know, where you'll probably be introduced to. Uh, yeah, they probably will. You know, I feel is, like, and that's not a knock on them, but I really feel like they're looking at the Marvel playbook and being like, all right, how can we apply that to the Universal property, you know, to, to the monsters? Um, and in terms of like, you know, making bank, in terms of what they want, you know, there are some early projections now. The movie's only a couple weeks away, June 9th. Um, and right now it's looking like that $125 million movie, The Mummy, may open as low as $40 bucks, And it could end up being one of those movies that banks on a very strong international showing. Which, thankfully for them, they have Tom Cruise in there, and Tom Cruise does have a very wide international appeal. Um, but, you know, that's kind of... They got to be hoping for better than 40 million because, you know, this looks like an expensive movie. You know, it says 125 mil. I would not be surprised if it actually cost, you know, some more than that. And just in general, like, you know, there's a lot riding on this. So 40 million, when as soon as I read that number, I'm like, uh oh. (laughs) You know, 40 million to open? Yeah. That's, that's, mm. yeah, you know, like for a big tent pole franchise. And you know what sucks about that? You know what sucks about that is that, the week before Wonder Woman comes out. Yeah. 
So I have a like, feeling that Wonder Woman's going to open like you know, like in in the mid '90s, and then for weekend two, it's going to do in like the '40s or '50s. So it might even take a second weekend, like a victory lap, and the mummy's just going to get swallowed up. Yeah, yeah I know? mean, it's good to see Tom Cruise back in one of these gothic horror movies. The last time I think I saw him was in an interview with a vampire. Oh yeah, it's been a long yeah. ass time. Yeah, it's been a long ass um, time. So this would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, by the way, this is just my own little personal thing because I know you don't give a fuck about the Power <laughs> Rangers, but yeah, I, I bring I bring them up because like that's another movie that opened soft uh, stateside and is going to be hoping for big overseas money. Yeah, and you know I know you didn't care about the movie, but I did, and I really wanted to see where they were going with this rebooted Power Rangers franchise. And right now, it's looking like a sequel is very unlikely. Like, it just, like, tanked in China, um, which is was kind of going to be, like, their big hope. Uh, does that surprise you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I didn't see that. I was never a fan of the Power Rangers. I didn't see yeah. I care well, I mean, less. I mean, listen, you're, like, 73 years old, you know, so exactly. you don't watch I mean, I, I couldn't, you know, care. It's not your world. It's funny because you say, you know, it tanked in China and, like, you know, there was a big uh, fan base in Asia, yeah. you know, for Power Rangers. And for it to tank the way it did. Yeah, I mean, the property came from Japan. It has, you yep. know, it, it has a, there's a huge market overseas for this. And for some reason, it's just not connecting. I guess because they had Americans in it. I mean, I guess, but the first, you know, the, 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 the original TV series did very well. The one that crossed over here into the States. And it's just... Ah, it's a bummer. You know, to, to me, it always seemed like like with this Power Rangers reboot, like they were trying to do a lot with a little. You know, like Dean Israelite, the director, did the best he could with what looked like a very modest budget. And I think he squeezed out. I think he succeeded. Like, I think he squeezed out every little tiny thing he could, every little centavo, every little thing out of those dollars, out of the limited resources. He squeezed out as good a movie as he possibly could have. But... You know, I think this franchise was going to live or die on whether or not that effort was going to be enough. And it now looks like it wasn't, you know, and and had they had more funding and and made had they could have made a bigger movie with perhaps some more big names in it or a wider scope. It probably would have done better. And instead, they made a movie that visually looked like Chronicle. You know, it looked like an indie flick filled with unknown actors and their little gamble just didn't pay off. It didn't end up surprising people by overperforming. It just kind of it didn't. I wouldn't say it flopped, but it just it didn't really do. It wasn't received special. well. Yeah, it just it didn't it didn't create waves. So I think myself and and fellow Power Rangers fans who were hoping that this reboot would lead to something, I think uh, we probably. I don't think I don't think it's happening anymore. So that makes <laughs> it makes me very sad. <laughs> but um, all right. So let's move on. Did you hear about this thing where uh, you know there's going to be a Judge Dredd TV series, and that they want you know Carl Urban to uh, to reprise the role? Uh, I heard it somewhere a couple of days. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read you the quote. Basically, one of the uh, producers was uh, you know in an interview or something uh, said you know 
We have had many conversations prior to this about all sorts of things. Uh, talking about Urban. You know, he's also very busy, a full-time professional actor. So we're going to have some long and complicated conversations, I would imagine, and we'll see where we go. It's too early, it's too early to tell yet, but if we can use him and he's available to us, then I think that would be absolutely brilliant. There's always a possibility that he'll be busy or that his schedule for other movies won't allow. Basically, we don't know at this stage. So that's what he said. Uh, but it looks like yeah, they want to, if they can make it work. In other words, I guess if he'll agree to the money that they can offer him and the scheduling that they're, that they're thinking of doing, they want to get him. So how would you feel if there was a Judge Dredd TV series that kind of, I guess, feels like a spinoff of uh, that last Dread movie? No, I'll with be fine with that. I mean, yo, put it on Netflix, you know, so if it has the same tone yeah. as the one that, you know, that was released a few years ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm you know, I'll binge watch it, you know, I'll watch it. I'll, yeah. I'll, if you're going to do it right, you know, you know, do it right. The story had the stories for a series. They have to be right. You know, they have to be good. Yeah. You know, yeah, but me, I watch it. Definitely. I've always been an urban fan too. Like, yeah, you know, I've said this before, but like back when they were looking for a new Batman before Affleck signed on, like he was always my pick to play Batman. I think Urban is a very, very good actor, and I've always just I, I've always bought what he has sold. So, um, you know, when I think about him coming to TV, it doesn't seem like that much of a long shot. He just had that series like two years ago on Channel Five. What was it called? Like Almost Human. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, you know, so like he 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 just did a TV series, so it shows that he's open to to that level of commitment. Um, so I just you know I, I I hope it works out. That would be pretty badass. You know, we're never gonna get the movie sequel. It doesn't look like because the movie itself, uh, Dread 3D, uh, didn't you know didn't do well enough. But if we can get the series, then that'll be a very satisfying you know. Uh, next step for for fans of the the last dread movie um then there was also news this is just a little thing but i just enjoy this did you hear that uh uh charles dance has joined the cast of godzilla king of the monsters you know who that is yes dude how badass is that guy very badass, right? Like he's always such a good villain. I, I remember he he's always a good out. bad guy. Yeah, like I remember in uh, the Last Action Hero. Remember that? Like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He had like the glass eye or whatever. Yep. He's always so convincing in everything he does, and he brings such a presence to the screen. In Game of Thrones, when you know, oh man, he's he's just he's he's a he's like a he's like a. I don't know. This, there's a power to that guy, Mr. Charles Dance. So it looks like you know he has signed on for the next Godzilla movie. It doesn't. You know, we don't know who he's playing. Everything about that movie remains under wraps. But I think that's pretty damn cool news to hear. Yeah, very cool. I like. I like him. Sucks that he he's no longer in Game of Thrones. I know, you know? his character was fucking. His character was Tywin. awesome. Yeah, Tywin <laughs> Lannister. Yeah, and then he fucking died on the toilet. <laughs> on the toilet, right there by, by his own son, Doma. Pop, pop, pop. Oh man! Oh, I'm sorry. Three-year-old spoiler alert to everyone else. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> then the last little bit I want to bring up uh, before we get into uh, what you've been hearing about Wonder Woman, or just, and just a little more general Wonder Woman talk, is you know James Mangold was recently talking about the possibility of an X twenty three movie. Um, you know, a lot of us saw Logan and loved the hell out of it. To me, that movie is, like, important. 
Like, I want to own it. Uh, I, I, earlier this week, I got a tweet like from Aaron who asked, like, you know, do you buy Blu-ray or, or stuff anymore for your collection? I very rarely feel compelled to buy Blu-rays anymore. I just watch all my stuff on TV on you know, I stream it from Netflix or Amazon or I go to HBO On Demand or Showtime On Demand, whatever. But there are certain movies I'm like, no, no, I need that on my shelf. And Logan is one of them. And I know they just released it. They have the Logan Noir and the whole thing. Like, I want to own that. Logan, for me, was an instant classic. And now Mangold is talking about X-23. He's not saying he's going to do it. But uh, here's what he said. Here's what he said. He said if he were to make an X-23 movie, um, he he gave like a a little bit of an overview of the the story that he would want to tell. He said... Uh, a very honest film about young people is what I'd say. A very honest film about young people growing up. So it was like he'd want to tell like a coming of age story about uh, about Laura, you know, Laura Logan. Um, and then when they asked, like, you know, if, if he's spoken to the studio about it, like actually trying to, you know, put the pedal to the metal and make it happen, he just said anything's possible. You know, I've certainly talked to them about it. I even talked to them about it before we made the movie. He's referring to Logan. Uh, I thought she was just such a great character. But with what Daphne did, I think that's certainly, that's that's possible. So, I mean, I, and I you know what it is? I'm sort of torn on it. I'm sort of torn on it because mm-hmm. on the one hand, no, you know what it is? Because like, I want to see him make another one of these movies because I thought Logan was a masterpiece. But at the same time, like I want to somehow get Daphne, um, you know, the Laura's character, Laura, X twenty three into the main proper X Men timeline with the other X Men somehow, and make her like the new Wolverine. So I don't know how much I want to see them continue on this like future kick and following her in a future where all the other mutants are dead. You know, I, I, in other words, I would love to try to get her somehow do a time travel storyline, get her back into the 90s or something so that she could be with the core X-Men at some point. But maybe that's just a weird thing that I want. Uh, what, what, what would you want to see come of this? Mm, it, again, to me, it all boils down to the to the story, dude. Like, yeah. you know, where, where can they take it from here after, you know, Logan, which... I agree with you, Logan. To me, right now, is like the best superhero film that has come out You're this right. year. Yeah, you know. Uh, and yes, I, I, the Blu-ray is coming to my house soon, so I'm gonna have that on my shelf. Hijo de puta. <laughs> but I truly thought that, that the little girl is, was fantastic. Yeah, and uh, they should move forward if only and only if they have a a good good story. You just can't do it because you know, oh, you know. We can. Uh, I need a car next week. Uh, how can we get a car? Uh, we got to make this movie, and they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But uh, so as long as it's not a cash grab, you'd want yeah, to see not, a exactly. As long as, not, as, as long as as long as it's not a paycheck kind of thing. Yeah. But what I would like to see Mango do, and I spoke to him personally on it, um, is Magneto, a solo film. Really? I would love to see him do that okay. because that, especially for him, because he even told me that, um. That's his favorite X Men character was Magneto. Oh wow! Wow, you know, so that would be I did interesting. Not see that coming. Now I see what I want him to do next. By the way, and then I'll get back to just kind of closing off on this X twenty three thing. What I want to see him do next is to, is as nothing related at all to X Men or comic books. Uh, a couple weeks ago, there was news that 
um, they were going to make a Doc Holiday movie, like a, a like a Western biopic about Doc Holiday. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the, the character that Val Val Kilmer played in Tombstone and Dennis Quaid played in Wyatt Earp, and they're going to make a new Doc movie. And it's going to be starring Jeremy Renner. And it sounds like it's going to be a really cool, really interesting Western. And that I would love to see James Mangold do. Because he made 310 to Yuma, which I yeah. thought was a great, you know, Western. And then Logan felt like, you know, somehow a post-apocalyptic future Western in its own way. And so I feel like he's got a great eye for telling Western stories. And oh, yeah, I definitely agree with right? that. Right? And if he directed Doc with Jeremy Renner as his, as the title character, that shit could be fuego. So that would be what I want him to do next. But in terms of the whole X-23 thing, I don't know. Maybe I just have a, a limited view of things. But I just feel like, you know, where do we really go from here that wouldn't be retreading familiar territory? Because we know that she got across the border, presumably she got across the border into that safe haven with the other child mutants after Logan finished, after after Logan died. Um, so it's like, are we going to just have another one of these movies where we, where we meet a group of new young mutants and watch them come together? Because like, we already had X-Men First Class, which had that dynamic with all the young new mutants where they sort of rebooted things. We're about to have X-Men The New Mutants, directed by <clears throat> Josh Boone, which is also going to introduce us to like teenaged mutants coming together. So for me, like the next logical X twenty three story would be very similar to that. Her with those group with the group of child mutants and how they come together or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to meet a third team of coming of age mutants. I'd rather find a way to get her to be part of the original X Men team somehow and proceed from there. But maybe I'm just overcomplicating it. I just do you see what I mean at all though? Yeah, I see. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, because I feel like, you know, based on what we see there, we got to assume that, like, that tight little clique is going to stay together. And it's going to be one of those kind of, you know, here's a team of misfit mutants with these crazy powers. Yeah. You know, I feel like, you know, we, we've already kind of done this a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know. Dude, that ending reminded me of Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where they all went to the woods. Yeah. Yeah. And they stayed in the woods. You know, and, and, and that's then, what happened here. These these X twenty three and them, they all left into the woods. Yeah. And and now they presumably what? made it over the border to get to whatever exactly. like their safe haven is, but it's just like like I guess if they find a way to make it more like a solo story for her and where she's not dependent on being part of a team of other mutants and whatever, then I guess I'd be interested in that. If 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 it's another like Logan style like character study where it's barely even a comic book movie, it's just let's follow this character telling this very gritty personal story. Then I guess that would be pretty good. But I I, I just I don't know I I feel like I don't know I, I I'm not sold on the idea of an X twenty three movie. That's that's all yeah, I'm just gonna yeah. say there. Um, but all right, so let's talk a little bit about Wonder Woman, Puto. So. You know, right now, a lot of the early buzz is incredibly positive, which is great. It's music to my ears. Um, everyone seems to be loving Gal Gadot. People seem to be just raving and raving that this is going to be the movie that finally brings the heart and kind of turns the DCU around a little bit. So I know you haven't had a chance to see it. I know you and I were trying very desperately to get into a screening uh, earlier this week. But, you know, Warner Brothers has been very, very uh, stingy about how they're giving those screenings away. Well, no, so, there was a screening this week for people who are interviewing 
the cast this weekend because the junk is this weekend. Yeah. So I know I know a few people who are flying to L.A. Yeah. Just for that. I mean, look, back in February when they test screened it, I mean, I told you, I told you, um, I got some reactions from it. You know, I couldn't say anything then, but, you know, it was out of the four or five that I got, uh, three of them were good. You know, they were, they all said it was good. Um, only one was like, it was like, it was okay. It wasn't like, you know, knock out other part, but there were some things that were not finished. So that's why he, he said it was okay. But everybody else, everybody else liked it. Like, you know, um, one of the, one of these, uh, people who direct messaged me was like, um, all I have to say is that the movie is dark, but you have to understand why, uh, this is Diana's first time stepping into a man's world, and her first impression is, "Holy shit, it's war! It's war everywhere!" Yeah. So you have that dark tone, you know, and you know he liked it. The person liked it. Um, he said it's not like Captain America where he has America fuck yeah tone. Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah America, fuck yeah America. You know, yeah, one of those. But yeah. this one, you know, overall, he said overall it was really good. You know. Okay. Uh, so overall, so you, so you have been hearing positive. Yeah, I've been hearing positive. So this isn't exactly surprising to you that now no, that no, things are officially all. leaking, everyone, you know, like, not leaking, but things officially coming to light, uh, you're not surprised that the word is good. Yeah, definitely. And then one of the things that one of the other reactions that I got was um, that the MVP for the, of the movie was uh, Ida Candy, I guess that's her name. Oh yeah, is that uh, that blonde woman, the one from yeah. the Office, yeah. the original BBC Office? Yeah, I think that's so, yeah. cool. She was the MVP, and then they told me some cameos, which I won't reveal. No, you won't. Spoilers. I don't want to know, motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, uh, but other than that, it's you know, it's good. You know. Okay. All right. I mean, listen, I, I I'm much more excited now than I was before I started hearing this. Um, and let's let's hope that that all comes true. You know what I mean? Oh um, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like I wanna I, I wanna see a good uh, DC film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I mean, I what one thing is like I do kind of laugh at is when they when people say like you know it's the best one. Well, like that's not hard to do. That's not necessarily a compliment. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Everything you know, the, the last two were rated twenty six and twenty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, like and even the first one, you know, the Man of Steel was only at like fifty two. It was also considered rotten. You know, it's not like they're you know, it's it's not hard to be the best DC movie. So that's something else I'm curious about too. Like, are a lot of these reactions because you know the bar is now so low? Or is it because the movie itself really is that good, you know? So I guess, you know, we'll all find out for ourselves in the coming weeks. Yeah, um, and, and for all those haters, like Zack Snyder haters, I mean, he was yeah. involved heavily in this. Didn't he, he write it? He, yeah, well, Didn't he, he write he's it? got the main story credit. It's story yeah. by Zack Snyder. So, so you know. all those haters can suck a dick. Well, I'm one of them, so I don't. Uh, oh. I, I, I and I have a bad <laughs> gag reflex when it comes to Zack Snyder. I fucking vomit. Um, vomits. But here's the thing, though. Like you know, with Snyder, he's just a shitty director. It doesn't. It's not that he doesn't come up with good ideas. So maybe he came up with a good story for Wonder Woman, and Patty Jenkins is a better storyteller than him. So she took his ideas and actually made something worthwhile out of it. So you know what I mean? So like, I, I to me, it's just. 
My my issue with Zack Snyder is when he's actually in the director's chair calling all the shots, I think he makes shitty decisions. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have some good ideas sometimes. You know, oh, I've always yeah, said like, you know, there's a lot about Man of Steel that I really liked. There's a there was some stuff about Batman v Superman that I really liked, but he just tends to like he kind of pushes things in a direction that I just can't relate to. It just goes into a direction that I find sort of hacky. But anyway, all right. At least you know what I'm I'm happy for about the Wonder Woman thing that is positive, it's cool, I like it. I want to see it but because they are, you know, I was getting these reactions from actual um fans or people that went to see a test screening like a few months ago. Yeah. But then when these, you know, you have to be careful what these critics say, you know, like you know how I feel about that. Like some of yeah. these critics just kiss ass to studios. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Like they were saying, I mean, I know that you like Guardians of the Galaxy and yeah. you know how I felt about yeah. the sequel. I didn't like it that much because there was no plot, <laughs> but it, there wasn't to me. I mean, and these people were praising Guardians of the Galaxy. It was the best thing in the world. I'm like, really? <laughs> uh, so then the same people are praising Wonder Woman. Again, I'm not saying that they're not they're not correct. Yeah. But I tend to take the reaction from fans or ordinary people yeah. more more than than the critics. Yeah, because because there's no agenda. You there's know, no agenda just, exactly. Here's how but I, I had heard, again I had heard about it. I, I got a review from a test screening back in February. I was going to post it, but there was a lot of spoilers. Okay. Like a lot. Yeah. So I didn't you know, like like I said the cameo. Uh, yeah. Who was the who was the villain? Actually, I put up who was the villain. Uh, back in February, yeah, um, and, and the tone, and, and it was a solid film. I got like two of those, and I yeah. never posted it only because I didn't want, you know, the studio or DC people to shit on me, even though it was positive, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, let's see. I, I, I'm probably seeing next week uh, before Memorial Day weekend. You know, fingers crossed, and you know, and I'll decide then. But right. what well, I am happy about is that if it is good. You know, this opens the floodgates for women superhero movies. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, what's it, Captain Marvel? I hope you know that. Yeah, no, that it it would it'll definitely be a sort of hallmark thing if this does really well financially and critically. Suddenly, you're gonna hear a lot more. That Black Widow movie, you know, will get made. No, oh yeah, now you will. Kicked around like now, it'll absolutely get made. Um. But all right, now let's talk a little bit about what's coming up this weekend. Just kind of projections, what we think for the box office, because you know there's two big movies that are going to be duking it out for for the top spot. There's the potential for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two to repeat, or there's the chance that Alien Covenant is going to knock it out of first place and actually be a first place rated R sci-fi horror movie. I say, I say, badass. Alien. So you think Alien's going to take the weekend? Oh, fuck yeah. Fuck yes. I'm seeing it actually, uh, not tonight, but I'm seeing it tomorrow night with, with, the, with the fam. Okay. Yeah, yeah they, uh, you know, the, the, the Thursday preview numbers are in. You know, that's usually a pretty good barometer. Yeah. And the Thursday previews uh, for Alien Covenant brought in $4.2 bucks. Uh, that's considered to be pretty strong. And, you know, the, the early projections for the movie was that it was going to do in the high 30s, low 40s for its opening weekend. And that wow. Guardians is going to do in the low 30s. 
But yeah, there's always that chance that like Alien Covenant stumbles a little bit and Guardians holds on a little better. So there's still the chance that this could they could end up going toe to toe and one does like 34 and one does like 36. But um, right I'm now, pulling that's... for Alien, my man. I'm pulling for Alien. I don't give a shit. And you've what seen it, right? Cr- and you like it? Seen, I don't. I don't give a fuck what those critics said. That movie was to me. Yeah, and that's just me. It was good. And look, look, I don't take, you know, like there are some other critics that I see online. Like there was one in particular. He was on video. I think it was John Campier. He and I, I agree with everything that he has said on that on that video because that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. I mean, the movie he and it was it was a good movie. And then all you have all these men. Oh, it's the end of the alien. Frat. Get the fuck out of here. I mean, people were asking yeah. me. At the screening, it never explained to you why you know Michael Fassbender was doing this. Hey, I'm don't not, spoil it, motherfucker. I'm not saying that. It. <laughs> spoiling yeah. it. I'm like, did you not see the fucking movie? And you call yourself a critic? I mean, like, really? Yeah, and that's these what are the people happens a lot. Yeah, and and this is these are the people that you know studios pay attention to. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, really? Yeah. And this other guy. Uh, who used to write for actually my my father used to write for Latino. I was like, dude, did you really see the film? You know, there was a lot of people in there who were just bashing it. I was like, it's a rehash of uh, the Alien. Really, The Force Awakens was a rehash of Star Wars. All right, you now see, I will fight you on that one. It was, but it's, <laughs> yeah, listen, it's the truth. Listen, it was a rehash of the original listen, trilogy. We will fight. It about was good. That. I'm not saying it was bad. Force Awakens was. I, I liked it a lot, but it reminded me of the first. <laughs> Yeah. New Hope. You listen, a lot of it. You're not wrong, but you're wrong. Okay, so listen. <laughs> um, you're not wrong, but you're wrong. <laughs> the uh, and just so you know, like you know, Alien Covenant reportedly cost less than a hundred mil to make. By the way, so that's very good news. That's very good. News. It only co- it cost ninety seven million dollars. It's rated R. And it's like the 89th movie in the Alien franchise. It's had all these sequels and spinoffs, and it's yeah. it's been dragged through the mud over the years. So if it does have a nice dominant weekend and in general gets people excited about the Alien franchise again, then this is all a very big victory for Fox. Um, yeah. And that's what makes it – because I know like – I mean, like I was saying, it's funny when things get compared to one another. But like when you think about the fact that – this is supposedly going to make in the upper 30s, low 40s, and that's considered good. But meanwhile, the mummy is supposed to make around 40, and that's bad. You know, it's because of certain things. You know, the, the mummy, the, the budget, first of all, you know, the mummy costs 30 million more to make. There's also a shit ton more riding on the mummy. They have Tom Cruise, they have Russell Crowe. They're trying to launch a whole fucking franchise off this yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. But there's also the fact, like, the rating. <coughs> Yeah, the mummy, as far as I know, is rated PG thirteen. So that means it's open to a much, much bigger audience. Yeah, they should be getting in families. They should be getting teenagers. There should be kids who are too young to be seeing these kind of movies who are going with mommy and daddy to check out the mummy. Alien Covenant is a hard R with lots of gore and lots of blood. It's it's strictly playing to grownups. So for Alien Covenant to pull in about forty is fucking awesome yeah for the and, mummy and, to pull in 40 it's like oh no you know it, it, it is funny yeah. how that works out but it's true and it's hilarious because they were showing prometheus the other day and yeah. we ended up watching it and my wife was like what's this i said this is like a sort of prequel to alien so she ended up watching it and she yeah. ended up liking it right okay and then and it was funny because she had shown my daughter when she was five years old she saw Alien with her. Okay. You know? And then my daughter liked Prometheus. And now both of them, 
That's why I say I'm going tomorrow as a family. We're all going to because they now want to see where this goes up to. And I said, you know, the first like I, and I told you this before. The first 40 minutes of the film feels like an alien movie. Like literally you're, yeah. you're watching an alien. Then the second half of it feels like an aliens movie. Like, yeah, it seems like yeah. the James Cameron. And, and sequel. they do a lot of references to Prometheus. So, yeah, you do have to see Prometheus to understand what's going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? And be sure to watch that prologue with uh, Dave Franco on it. Because yeah. a lot of people who went to the screen were like, why the fuck did they cast Dave Franco? Did you not see the first two minutes or five you minutes? You James what? Franco. Yeah, James Franco. Hey, Dave Franco ain't in this, all right? <laughs> yeah, Dave Franco's not in it. My bad. But it's James. They yeah. were like saying, you know, you guys got to see that first yeah. before, you know, and that's another thing that these critics were coming out, you know, complaining about him, saying that, you know, why that, that was a waste of a talent, you know, him yeah. being in the film. I'm like, no, if you saw the beginning online, then you wouldn't be bitching the way you are. But that is interesting, though. Like, you know, in theory, a movie should be able to stand on its own. You shouldn't have to have watched some other prologue in the you know before going to the theater. You know. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, listen, I I think it's kind of cool. Maybe this is a new way to release movies to like engage the online audience and get that to carry over into the you know, theatrical audience. But that is kind of it, it is kind of like an interesting departure when you think about it. Like now, are more movies going to do this now, where you need to watch certain things that aren't in the movie before you can fully appreciate what's in the movie? You know. Yeah. Like, no, like no, think no. about it, like had you not seen it. Had you not seen the prologue, I would have been fine with it. I would have been, been fine. fine. Okay, I would have been fine. Okay, because right. they show you other stuff in there which I won't tell you. Yeah, that you'd be like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Now I I understand why they they got James to do this film. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And then yeah, and aside from that, there's you know there's the, every everyone else is pretty much hiding in terms of movies that are coming out. Like it's a bunch of indies. The, the biggest other wide release is Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Uh, which is like it's getting it's like, which is another demolished. Fox movie which is which is another Fox movie which bugs me out why would you release that against aliens it's weird I mean I guess like counter programming you know like since they know families can't go see alien like here's what you could watch instead so yeah, yeah, so regardless of which one you see we're getting your money so I, I can kind of see how it works but 24% on Rotten Tomatoes like this thing is getting hammered and usually like these kind of like family kid movies get treated with a kind of like kid gloves They're usually a little easier on them people are hating on this movie so that's interesting to me. So I wonder how that's going to do. I mean, I don't think it's going to factor in at all. I think it's just going to kind of just disappear. Yeah, but, get me um, Captain Underpants. I want to see that. That's what I want to see. But, yeah, I mean, let's see, bro. I'm telling you, go see Alien cover right. of Mario. Is, you know. But you know what my issue is? And it's not It's not like I, a personal issue, like I, I, I don't want to see it. I'm actually very sort of like hazy when it comes to the alien franchise i feel like i saw the first one but i was like a kid when i saw it i was like yeah. eight or nine when i saw the first one i'm not even sure i ever got to see aliens oh i remember when i saw aliens yeah that shit was hot i mean the line I mean, i've heard amazing it, things yes james I cameron know. and it was you know yeah. one of those sequels that actually like was worth it yeah, the, and the line to get in i remember the line to get into them yeah. i was in virginia visiting uh, my father's friend who was uh, uh, in the Navy and, you know, there's a big naval base in Virginia. Yeah. Uh, and he took us to the movies and I was like, oh, there's aliens. Is this a sequel for the egg movie? And, and he was like, yeah. Oh, OK. 
<laughs> and the line for that shit was huge, and, yeah. but it was way worth it. It was an awesome movie. All right, well, and that, and that's what I'm getting at, though. Like, I feel like, and I've never, I've never seen Prometheus. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. So I'm like, so, so I'm in a weird spot right now because go see I want to see Alien FX. Covenant. Like a part of me was thinking maybe tonight I'll get a babysitter and I'll go see Alien Covenant opening night. But I'm like, fuck, I have like homework to do. I have like, you know, like I feel like there is some prereqs, prerequisites. Go see, go, go see Prometheus on FX. I think they're showing it on yeah. FX. But what about, but, I, but shouldn't I watch Alien and Aliens too, even though like technically those are sequels to this, but I feel like to fully I mean, yeah. see, appreciate check, check this, Alien. I should watch them. Yeah, check out. I, I was. I would say check out Alien, Aliens, and then Prometheus. Yeah, so that's why for me it may take me a week or two to finally get to see Covenant because I need to try to watch those other ones first. I feel so that's kind of like the bind I'm in because the the real sad truth of it all is the only Alien movie that I've ever that I can recall seeing in a theater watching from start to finish was fucking Alien versus Predator, the first one. Dun, dun, I don't even know how dun, I dun, ended dun. up. Yeah, I don't even know how I ended up seeing that. Like, I think I because I was on like that Freddy versus Jason kick. Like Hollywood was doing that whole you know, yeah the, the mashup movie. So I'm like, oh, let me see what this one's like. But I really like when it comes to the Alien franchise. It's one of those where like I saw it when I was so young that I I, I barely remember them and I don't really have a lot to go on. So I think I need to, you know, watch some of those again before I go see Covenant. But I do plan on seeing it. Um, but all right, man. So that's going to conclude the news. I got some other business to tend to on my end. And I know you got shit to do today. So, Kelvin, thank you so much for joining us today for this 14th edition of El Fanboy. No and, uh, you know, I want you to next week. I want you to have some sort of other killer scoop or bochinche story. Oh, for I me. have a little uh, bochinche to tell you right now. Oh, yeah? yeah? Check yeah, yeah, out yeah. this motherfucker. Yeah, All right, what do you got quick, before you go? You heard it here. You heard okay. it here. What? I got nothing. No, I'm just joking. Oh. I, um, <laughs> you son uh, of a bitch. No, um, well, the Hellboy movie's coming out soon. Yeah. You know, that new Hellboy thing. Yeah. Well, one of the questions that I asked uh, a person who's very close to it, to the project. Yeah. I asked him whether or not Hellboy is going to be mocap. And oh, okay. who, who's the guy they who's the guy they hired right now for uh, David Harbour from yeah. uh, Stranger Things? I asked him and I asked him, he goes, if it was mocap, they would have never hired him. They would have hired a voice talent. Yeah. So he's, yeah, gonna, yeah. Be, he's gonna be practical. So they're gonna be doing practical effects on this one. Practical effects on that. And Liz Sherman will not be the love interest as the Guillermo okay. Toro one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She'll okay. be she'll be like a girl in the film, but not the the, the love interest yet to help. Yeah. Her. Okay. You know? So as far as you know, is this like you know like a a, a retelling of his origin, like kind of like a uh, yeah, it's more hard R from what I heard. No, I know, like, I know, I know, I know about that. I know it's R and the tone, but do we know story wise? Like, if it, no, is it that I don't like know. Retelling uh, I, his origin story. I don't know anything yet, but I will okay. soon, and then I'll put it up like I did Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water story details, which I just posted. Okay. All right, my dude. Well, that All was, right, was kind of juicy. All right, brother man. So thank you uh, for joining, and uh, keep you. in touch, and uh, thanks stay, for all the Stay cool. Time. Stay cool, because it's fucking hot right now. I'll stay cool, and thanks for talking me off a ledge the other day and, and being my Master Yoda, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about that. You know, hate is hate, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man. Have a good one. Okay, bye. Bye. So that there was Kelvin. Always a pleasure to have my man on the podcast. He's welcome here 
anytime he wants, whenever he wants, for as long as he wants. But um, all right, so now let's get to the questions that you, the listeners, have sent in over the course of the last week and a half since the 13th edition of the El Fanboy podcast. Um, so one of the first ones I got was with regard to King Arthur. Uh, Nathan sent in a nice lengthy one where he, uh, to give some perspective, he, you know, he wrote a whole thing out. He said, with the $14 million sad opening for King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, against a $175 million budget, can Guy Ritchie still give us a hit film? Will he recover from two in a row box office failures? While I was there opening night for both of his last two films, Man from Uncle had only one other person in the theaters with me, but King Arthur was actually half full. Why can't he make a hit? These films are actually not that bad. I enjoy them. Your thoughts? So here's the thing for me with with uh, with Guy Ritchie. I feel like I feel like he's got a lane. He's got a, an area where he's very strong, and that he seems to have a natural voice and knack for. And like, if you look, he's only made nine films. Okay, Guy Ritchie has only directed nine movies, and four of them were in the same genre. Four of them were in that British gangster movie genre, and he seems to be very good there. And it fits his sensibilities, and that's what he's very good. I'm not saying he needs to stay in that forever, but I'm bringing that up because, you know, I get the sense that. He has just a particular kind of movie. Like, not every director is cut out to make these huge hit blockbuster movies. You know, that's just not necessarily for everyone. Some guys are cut out just to make really good smaller films. And I think Guy Ritchie is more of that sort of niche or niche director. You know, I think he should stick to making his little smaller movies that are in his wheelhouse that allow him to flex his muscles. Um, when it comes to, you know, it, up until Sherlock Holmes in 2009, which made uh, $209 million domestically, his biggest hit was Snatch, which was $30 million. That's a huge gap, huge, huge gap. And, you know, it's, it's partially because Sherlock Holmes, you know, had a lot more going for it than just Guy Ritchie. You almost get the sense that, you know, you could have put any number of directors in the Sherlock Holmes director's chair and it would have done very well because it was like a perfect, you know, it was like a perfect storm at the time. You know, you had Robert Downey Jr., who was red hot coming off of Iron Man, which came out in 2008. Um, you had Jude Law, who was still a good, recognizable star at that time. You had the fact that we hadn't really had a good, interesting, fresh take on Sherlock Holmes in a very long time. You know, like th th there was a lot of different things that aligned to make Sherlock Holmes great. And it wasn't necessarily because Guy Ritchie was involved. Um, and that's not a knock on him. But it's just sometimes with these big movies, you know, it almost doesn't matter who's directing them. You know, sometimes there's really just, there's, there's an audience for a particular movie or a particular property, or sometimes it's the stars aligning. Like, you know, like I, I think of the same thing, like with, um, the last two Fast and the Furious movies who, that have both done insane business, but you can't say that it's because of James Wan doing seven or F Gary Gray doing eight. 
You know, like I remember reading like headlines, like, you know, F. Gary Gray has his best opening ever. Same thing for James Wan. You know, his best opening ever with was Fast and Furious 7. And it's like, okay, yes, but that's sort of like superficial when you think about it. Because, yeah, he had made smaller movies. James Wan had been making those little, you know, $5 million horror movies. And, of course, he attached himself to a comet. You know, the, 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 the Fast and the Furious franchise is huge. So, you know, it, it's just that's kind of my point. It's not necessarily a knock on any of these directors, but sometimes it's more about the property. It's more about the time it comes out. And I get the feeling that Guy Ritchie's greatest successes in terms of box office was less to do with what he was making and the more with the fact that people just seem to be really into the idea of a, of a badass, modern, fresh take on the Sherlock Holmes mythos. And that's why he has basically faltered for in anything that's not that since then. You know, Man from Uncle, people rejected. King Arthur, no one seems to give a fuck. And I just feel like he's just guy, you know, Guy Ritchie is not gonna be someone that a studio is ever gonna depend upon to create one of those movies that's an excuse to print money. He's just that's not his thing. He's more of a niche filmmaker. He's got his own distinct vision. He has his own, you know, he has his wheelhouse, his safe zone, and he's probably just going to revert back to that shortly. And that's, you know, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, I recently read a quote from him. This was in a preview for uh, for King Arthur, where he just referenced how, like, you know, it, it's always wild to basically be, be, be playing with a whole lot of someone else's money and just do your best at, that you can at it. You know what I mean? Like he, uh, I, I just got a kick out of that because it's true. You know, Warner Brothers is like, Here, here's $175 million. We want you to gamble with our money. Like, you know, he, he acknowledged, in other words, that he's more of like an outsider. Just like, okay, you want me to do this? Fine, I'll, I'll do this. Sure. And we'll see how it works out. But that's not necessarily a film or a project or a thing that he wants to make or is particularly like that's not his his safe zone or his good, you know, where he makes his greatest quality entertainment. But hey, if you want to give me all this money to make it, fine, I'll give it a shot. That was totally the impression I got from him uh, in this preview that you know he, he gave some quotes for in Entertainment Weekly a few months back. But anyway, so that hopefully that answers your Guy Ritchie question. I don't think that he's going to be making any other big, you know, movies that open up and make over two hundred million dollars domestically. I don't think that's him. That's not a knock on him. That's just not him. Um, another one you guys sent in was okay. So Chris wants to know: Do you think that Warner Brothers will let Jeff Johns or anyone not named Nolan be like Kevin Feige, or will they continue to meddle? considering they were all in on Snyder until they weren't, and Johns has his own questionable history. Um, see, it, it, it's really hard to say. When it comes to Warner Brothers and what, where the balance of power lies when it comes to DC Entertainment, you know, we're still, I think they're still figuring it out. I think we're still trying to figure it out out here. Um, I kind of get the sense that they do want Johns to be the Feige, but right now, they are still just making, you know, they're trying to make the best out of what happened under the previous regime. You know, Justice League and Wonder Woman came out of the previous regime. So for the time being, they kind of had to do like a mixture of being heavily involved and just making peace with the fact that Snyder has made what he's made. 
I suspect that after Justice League comes out, that moving forward, they're going to meddle less and just let John sort of call the shots. You know, he's been calling the shots or he's been overseeing Aquaman. He's been overseeing everything else that's coming up. He's, you know, he's the one who took the meetings. You know, him and John Berg took the meetings with uh, Dwayne Johnson about Shazam and Black Adam. You know, he seems to be very much involved with what the future vision for DC Entertainment is. Just for, you know, for, for very practical, very logistical reasons, he has not been able to really flex his power over Wonder Woman and Justice League because those were both either filming or mostly filmed by the time he was put into power. So to answer your question, Chris, I do think that their ultimate end game is to make Johns sort of the Feige. But they just can't do that yet until Justice League comes out. Until Justice League comes out, they're going to be doing their meddling thing where they're, you know, after the fact, trying to fix some questionable decisions that have been made. So, you know, more will be revealed after Justice League happens. But I do think Johns will ultimately settle into the position of the captain of the ship. For the time being, it's impossible for him to do that. Um... Other questions. Oh, by the way, I uh, I want to thank uh, Tavo for his question because it's it's touching for me that he cares or that anyone cares about the fact that this is the year that I want to create some art where something happens. You know, where where I stop being someone who writes about the industry and instead become someone that people write about. And that will, you know, routinely checks in on me. So he tweeted after last week's episode. Uh, hashtag El Fanboy, since you didn't mention caca about what you've been doing, my question is, what is going on with your projects? So, um, you know, I'm trying to work on a couple of scripts here. I've got a few things that have been in the incubator of my mind, some of them for years, some of them for a week. And I also have this wonderful offer to co-write something with, with someone who I value very much. Uh, the trouble with me is always finding the time and then finding the, the, the way to shut up the voice in my head that tends to make it so that I don't complete any of this stuff. You know, I really have an issue where I count myself out before I follow through on the idea, where I get all gung-ho and I'm ready to start and hit the ground running, and then I go, nah, it's not good enough. What's wrong with you? And... For the sake of just trying to finally complete something and, and take an idea and see it start to finish, uh, I want to just force myself to write a story uh, starting tonight, actually. I'm making this an urgent desire, an urgent thing that has to be taken care of. So just to kind of get personal with you guys, you know, tonight my wife is going out with one of her friends. They're going to go do a thing. They're going to be out for the night. And typically when she goes out, I tend to invite over a couple of my boys. And then while the kids sleep, you know, cause I'm basically in charge of the kids when my wife goes out, obviously. So while the kids sleep, I crack open a bottle of whiskey. I make us a couple of old fashions, a couple of Manhattans. We sit out on the porch and we bullshit for the rest of the night. Uh, and nothing productive comes out of it. I just have a nice chill evening and wake up tomorrow a little bit hungover. But that's typically what I do on these nights where my wife's going to go out. But tonight, I'm not doing that. Tonight, I'm going to sit here alone in front of my laptop 
once the kids are in bed, I'm going to get to work on something. Um, and hopefully I'll have more to report for you on uh, you know, next week on how that all comes together and how I'm pushing myself to finally create the things that I'm always just thinking about. Um, so thanks for that question. It's a very personal question, and thank you very much. Um, another question came in from Aaron. Yes, he asked a couple, so I'm just going to touch on one of them and get to his main one. Uh, the question was, does the failure of King Arthur Legend of the Sword put pressure on the box office expectations of Wonder Woman? I think absolutely. Um, and it's unfortunate and it's unfair and it's not cool. But, you know, I did just watch that documentary that I told you guys about, the one that, um, uh, John Schnepp made about the death of Superman lives, what happened, uh, that documentary. One of the things that struck me about that is that, you know, Warner Brothers was in a jam at that time. One of the reasons they scrapped it wasn't because of how wacky it was going to be with Nicolas Cage as Superman. And it wasn't necessarily because they didn't believe in Tim Burton's vision. It was just they had a bunch of movies that were misfiring that either weren't doing well or were bombing or just barely breaking even. And it forced them to look at their slate and go, okay, we have to strike anything that's not a safe bet, anything that is remotely risky, anything that is remotely not a sure thing, we're going to cut. And I feel like Warner Brothers, especially after King Arthur, they're in a position where they are really going to have to start taking stock of what's coming and figuring out what can we do to streamline things so that our movies perform better and so that we're not just facing one movie that barely breaks breaks even after another, followed by a bomb like King Arthur. Um, and yeah, I, I have a lot more I could say on that, but for now, I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, I think that's really the issue there. there. Yes, King Arthur, for better or worse, is going to weigh down. It's going to be a factor for Wonder Woman and pro possibly the DCU as a whole. So here's hoping that Wonder Woman still does very, very well, and that Justice League ends up good and does very well, because if it underperforms and Justice League underperforms, this it's 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 going to be very interesting moving forward. Because if you look at their slate of 2017 movies so far, uh, practically all of them have either just barely met expectations or underperformed, or bombed entirely. So Warner Brothers is, is kind of in, in the middle of a crappy run right now. Um, and then uh, the other question from him was, uh, any intel on the world building of the XCU on TV with the Gifted and Legion? Honestly, I don't have anything on that for you. Um, yeah, I reached out to my Fox source and they're just being very tight-lipped right there, right? Right now, the, the, the sense I'm getting when it comes to Fox and the uh, X-Men cinematic universe and the way it's going to play with the TV stuff is like everything right now is kind of in a holding pattern uh, in terms of they're reevaluating exactly how they want to proceed. You know, we know X-Men New Mutants is about to enter production. We know that X-Men Dark Phoenix is going to be following it shortly thereafter and that Gambit is getting worked on and Deadpool 2 is working and getting worked on. But they seem to not want to talk about anything 
until things are much more finalized and like already leaving the runway. Right now, the planes are sort of circling the jetway, if you know what I mean. Uh, and they, they, they don't want to talk about anything yet uh, because, you know, they're really trying their best to look at the success of Deadpool, look at the success of Logan and figure out how that's going to inform the future for them. And I'm sure the TV stuff is part of that plan too. figuring out, you know, what, what, what is it that we see Marvel Studios doing that we want to imitate? What do we see them doing that we don't want to do? And how is all of this going to work together? I, I, I think they're still figuring it all out. Um, and last question was, I was asked, do you believe that Jeff Johns has more faith in Wonder Woman than Justice League? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to say yes. Uh, I feel like, you know, he's been involved with Wonder Woman a little more closely than he was with Justice League. You know, Justice League was really Zack Snyder's baby and, you know, and, and, and he had Chris Terrio come in there and, you know, it, I feel like. You know, Justice League is much more of a Snyder movie, and Wonder Woman was much more of a Johns movie uh, overall, even though it was made under Snyder's sort of reign of terror. Uh, Johns has been more closely involved with Wonder Woman uh, for a while. So I get the sense that he's much more involved with that. And even just from a storytelling sensibility, you know, I think it's much more up his alley. You know, Johns likes the classic hero stuff. He's a huge Superman guy. He probably loves dealing with a character like Wonder Woman, who's a true blue hero and uh, having a telling a story that's much more emotional and loving and compassionate than what Snyder's cooking up with uh, his last few movies. So yeah, I have a feeling he has more faith in Wonder Woman and is overall just more invested in Wonder Woman than he is uh, with Justice League. And even from just a purely like financial logistical standpoint, you know, he's got to be hoping that Wonder Woman does really, really well because it's the last building block before we get to Justice League. You know, it's the last DC movie before their big, their biggest movie ever comes out. So he's probably just hoping Wonder Woman does well just as a setup to Justice League, you know. Uh, otherwise, you know, he's going he, he's gonna to become the captain of the DC ship for better or worse after Justice League. And I, 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 you know he's got to hope that he's taking on a, uh, a series that is beloved and back on track and not one that is rapidly sinking and on fire. But all right, we're going to be wrapping things up. If you're listening to this and you have not yet taken the time to go on iTunes and leave the El Fanboy podcast a good review, please feel free to, you know, please do so. You know, I've got a, a, I'm all perfect five stars right now and I want to keep that going. So keep the reviews coming in, keep spreading the good word about El Fanboy, tell your friends, tell your friends, like, subscribe, rate, share, do your thing, all right? So thank you guys. You are wonderful. You are why I do this. Thanks for waiting the extra few days for the 14th edition of the Fanboy Podcast. And until next week, adios. <laughs>